in week two, and our relationship with God is the most important relationship that sets the tone for everything else in our lives. And then our relationship with other people, it's one of the main things that lasts for eternity. You know, people and God's word. That's it. That's all that lasts for eternity. So what we're doing now in our relationships, man, it matters so much. So today we're tackling relationship questions. Thanks for sending those in. We got some good ones on parenting and marriage and rhythms, uh, sex. There are some things that are a little PG, so you might want to take your kids next door if you did bring them in here. Just want to let you know that ahead of time. Next week, we're going to be talking about singleness, divorce, being widowed, all of those seasons. We didn't really get any questions on those for today, so we won't be talking a lot about that, but God has something for you today if you're single. He has something for you next week if you're married. We come every week expecting God to speak to us through his word. Come on. And if we haven't met before, I'm Ashley, and I'm the senior pastor here. And this is my husband, Jay. And uh, he does not work here on staff full-time. We get that question a lot. Where do you work? I work at a manufacturing facility in Pennsylvania. So Pennsylvania, but he's been a part of ministry with me ever since we got married. So tell him our journey. So we met in high school. Uh, we were mini golfing together. Ah, that's. I was fifteen. About six months after we started dating, that coat is from a thrift store. Mine. Nice. I probably still have that thing. That was. That was high You're fashion. so cute. You have a little baby face without that beard there. I still got that. Yes. What other pictures we got? Yeah, what other? Please. Oh, we were always, Christmas dance. We always matched. Yep. Very good. Very good. Well, as we went through. My graduation. Yep, I was dressed up for that. Yep. Thanks for wearing your suit and tie. And Finest. Sunday best. And there's us now with our kids. Yeah. Sophie's eight, Ryder's five. So uh, through high school, um, we didn't go to church regularly. I was on the football team when we first started dating and played baseball. You were in the band, and the only time I would go to church is if it was with our football coach. And by the time we were, I was a senior, I was trying to teach myself the saxophone to be part of the band. Uh, oh, romantic. I, yes. And she was trying to act because I was a director. Trying to act? I'm great at acting. You were fantastic, a natural. (laughs) Uh, And so, yeah, we always tried to... Yeah, we got involved in what each other was a part of. Yeah, it was exciting. I didn't go to church either. So uh, my parents, we went on Easter and Christmas, I think. Uh, But when I was in high school, uh, my dad's friend invited us to church and we started going regularly. And I met Jesus and Jay was working on Sundays. Otherwise, he would have come with me. And one day I just told him, I'm like, hey, so here's the thing. I love Jesus the most. He's my number one in my life. And so you're going to have to be okay with being number two. Is that good for you? Because if not, then we're going like to we're gonna have to break up. And I was like, yeah, that works for me. Perfect. Good choice. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of argument from my side of things. And uh, we got married uh, the week after I graduated college. We went to the same college. You were a year behind me, so you still had to finish student teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we did get married, I asked... I took your dad out and was like, hey, can I marry Ashley? And he was adamant that you finished school. He really thought that I was going to tell her that she was going to stay at home, quit school, and do all that stuff. 
Yeah, you know how dads can be sometimes. Yeah. So we started <laughs> we started dating in 2001, and we got engaged in 2006, and we got married in 2007. Yep. If you're in high school, I don't think you should date, okay? I just want to tell you that. You might be like, oh, that's so romantic. They dated in high school. No. You should wait until you know yourself and you know who you are. I mean, if you want to go on like a group date with a whole bunch of friends, okay, that's fine. You just don't know, yeah. But you, you, got you don't a lot need to, to go out. steady with someone before you graduate high yeah, school. We, You've got other things you're working on. We had a lot to work through. Well Figuring out who we were in exactly. Jesus. Yeah. yeah, we changed a ton over those years. And yeah. Surprised we made it through. Uh, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> mostly on my end, mostly on my <laughs> But uh, let's get to the question, shall we? Is it hot in here? Uh, what are your views on discipline for your children, and how do you parent without guilt? That's a good question. Thank you so much, parents. All right, the biggest thing here for this one is you are responsible for stewarding your children so that you can launch them out when they become adults. And so you have about 18 years with them to make sure that they know God. That's the most important thing, that they know God. And then that they know who they are because of Jesus. They have their identity in him. And then the third thing is that they know their individual purpose for their life or at least a little bit about who God made them to be. So you want them to know God, know their identity in Jesus, and start to know their purpose for life. And as parents, we don't know their purpose, but it's our job to pray about their purpose, to look at who God made them to be, to look at their gifts, to encourage those gifts, to see the gold that God put in them and help bring that out to the surface. We were at a conference this week and they were saying one of the newest statistics is that teenagers spend eight hours and 39 minutes on their phone every day. That's more than a full-time job every day. Mm -hmm. And so what happens with that is they're consuming so much content that tells them who they should be, what they should do, what they should question. And it starts to get real swirly like, okay, what can I trust? And if you raise your kids to have that foundation in Jesus, to know God, they can go back to the truth of what God says. So even when all of these things are speaking at them loudly, they know the truth, and the truth is what sets us free. They know their identity, and no matter what anyone else says, they're not shaken. They know who God made them to be, and so uh, again, when anything else comes up, they're like, no, 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 that's not who I am, or this is who I am. So it's our responsibility as parents to figure out God, what did you put in them? This is your child. You care about them more than I do. How can I come alongside? And so when your kids know their identity in Jesus, it changes your discipline approach a lot because first of all, they aren't like worried about the things they're doing. They're, we're more worried about who they are more. And I shouldn't say worried. We're more focused on who they are. And so our son Ryder, for example, He's kind of crazy when it comes to discipline. <laughs> so Sophie, if you look at her and she's done something wrong, she'll just start crying, you know. She's just sweet and sensitive and wants to do the right thing. And Ryder, he's like, he doesn't care if you discipline him. He just doesn't care. It's like, try and, it. Just try it. Yeah, so, so a lot of things with him especially are reminding him of his identity. Mm -hmm. And so you're a Jesus boy. Jesus boys, they don't choose to pick on their sister, 
for example. Jesus boys, they're actually not scared because you have the love of God and that love casts out fear. And again, it's not throwing verses at them so much as it's solidifying their identity. Because this is who you are, then these are the choices that you make. Mm -hmm. And so Hebrews 12.5 talks a a little bit about it. It says, have you forgotten how good parents treat children and that God regards you as his children? My dear child, don't shrug off God's discipline, but don't be crushed by it either. And I think those are helpful tools for us as parents. We should not crush our children with our discipline, but at the same time, we shouldn't neglect it either. It's the child he loves that he disciplines, the child he embraces, he corrects. You know, Pastor Dave likes to say that correction is for direction, not rejection. So when we love our children, we correct them. Uh, Verse 7, God is educating you. That's why you must never drop out. He's treating you as dear children. This trouble you're in isn't punishment. It's training. Training is the normal experience of children. I think that is so important. Training is the normal experience of children. So what happens is when we're born, we don't have self-discipline. You need discipline on the outside of your life. And then you internalize it and learn how to self-discipline. And that's why with your children, we discipline them more when they're younger. And when they're older, they know the way they should go and they don't depart from it. Uh, The last part of the verse, only irresponsible parents leave children to fend for themselves. Would you prefer an irresponsible God? So it's our job to give children the safety of boundaries, the safety of caring for them, the safety of discipline. And I think that it's also important just to recognize that each child is unique and a certain style of discipline doesn't necessarily mean that it's the same style for every kid. Um, As you alluded to, you know, we do discipline our kids differently, but it's only through understanding who they are and getting to know them and getting what we really want is an open dialogue with our kids so that they never, when they get older, they always feel secure in coming to talk to us about whatever they're going through uh, so that it's not, they're not getting the outside influences that might lead them in a wrong direction, but rather that they have a safe environment at home that they would actually want to bring others into, bring friends over. Uh, You know, you can't, they say like you can't pick their friends, but you can create safe environments for them so that they want, if you're home is a safe environment, if your home is fun, they're going to bring their friends over. And then you can kind of, you know, use discernment to say, okay, that these these are the types of people that I want my our kids around so that they can grow and be healthy. That, that's the exciting part about yeah. that. Let's look at the next question. In your marriage, who takes the lead? We get asked this a lot. We do. Uh <laughs> Jesus does. Uh, he leads. Surprise. Yes, exactly. It's Jesus. And it's not, it's not the cop-out answer. That, uh, it is the real it's answer. The truth. It, he leads and guides us and shows us how to love our partners uh, through anything, uh, through you know, good times, uh, bad times. I think there's a theme song in there, and I'm trying not to get ADD moment. But Colossians 3.19 says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And basically it means... You know, Christ loved, was the head of the church, and he loved the church, but he, he submitted himself to serving the church. And so as husbands, we serve our, spouse, our wives in a way that no other person can, and we create a, a, another environment for them to thrive in a way that nobody else can in their life. 
So in reality, if you want to know what real love is like, look to how Jesus just laid his, his life down for the church and then do the same with your wife. Yeah, so that verse is talking about the unconditional love of God. When it says, love your wives, it's talking about God's love. So imagine loving your spouse the way God loves you. And that's what he says for husbands to do. Do the same thing with your wife. And then verse 18, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And I think a lot of times we get this verse wrong. We take submission and we think it means like, a slave submitting to a master, or just, you know, society does weird things with it. Sometimes people just take that verse out of their wedding vows when they're like, ah, I don't like submit to you, women's empowerment stuff. But here's the thing. What does the word submit actually mean? And Jay talked about it a little bit, but if you look at it in other places in the Bible, you know, God submitted everything to Jesus's authority. That means he put it under his authority. And then Jesus put himself under God's authority. So he's submitting to God. And then the Holy Spirit always points to Jesus. So he's submitting to Jesus. And what you have is God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're all submitting to each other. And God's the head, but they're three in one. And so then you look at marriage and husbands. You're supposed to love your wives like Christ loved the church. And so that's like the Jesus role. And then wives, uh, in Genesis, when women were created, it calls us the helper, which is the same word for the Holy Spirit. And the helper simply means that person has something that you don't have on your own, that you can't get on your own, that you need. You know, God's like, it's not good for a man to be alone, so I will make a helper for him. And so he brought woman along. And so if the husband's like Jesus and the woman's like the Holy Spirit, and then God is the head of the marriage, the Bible talks about a cord of three strands won't be easily broken. And so you've got this beautiful picture again of three in one where your husband and your wife are both in the relationship and then God's in there too. And it's the same reflection of the Godhead of God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. And when we're all as one, uh, we're all, uh, the husbands are the head of the house, like Jesus is the head of the church, and it means just like Jay said, they love them, their wives, they give their lives up for their wives. But it's not dominating their yeah. wives, you know, if we're in this together as one, we're, if, so if I'm winning and she's losing, uh, we're losing, we're both losing, because we are one, yes. and if, so it should always be win-win for us, and if I'm suppressing her, or if I'm, you know, dominating her, I am not allowing her to be the individual that God created her to be. Yeah, so being the head just simply really means you go first in a lot of things, you go first in leading us to pray, mm -hmm. um, you're the head of the house, but we make decisions together, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But there is, there is something that I think the husband can do for the entire family, which is if the husband sets the tone, sets the priorities for the family in, in how they view something like church, if, we, if I'm making it a priority in our life, I set the tone for you, uh, and then you're setting the tone for the kids. And that's something unique that the kids are going to respond more to what she, how she's leading them in, in their viewing of like when we come to church in the morning, you know, how we express that and how we're excited about that. 
I set that tone for her and what we're doing. She sets that for the kids. Mm -hmm. So that that's a practical way. And and so if husbands, if you're excited about church, if you're make whatever you make a priority, that's the priority of your family. Whatever values you have as a family come from the husband. Mm -hmm. And and we have one vision. Yes. So Christ is the head of the church. He laid his life down for her, and he's the firstborn of everyone else. You know, he's the first, and we all follow Jesus in the same way in our marriage. Jay's the first, and I follow him. But again, he doesn't demand submission. Like, God doesn't force submission on us. That's something that we choose to do. We choose to surrender. We choose to submit our lives to God because we want to, because he loved us first. Mm -hmm. And then we submit to one another. We say, because I love you, I put you first. And our kids know you're first in my relationships and I'm first in your relationships after God. So really we're second, but first human. Ephesians 5.21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we're both submitting to each other and that makes us both happy. And we have to recognize that we're not perfect, you know, if, but I, we choose to love an imperfect person because God shows us perfect yeah. love. And so we continue to give that unconditional love to our spouse no, no matter what. So how do we navigate situations where we disagree while still acting as a team? What does it look like to agree to disagree? We don't usually agree to disagree. We're trying to think if there's any time where we're like, let's just table it and agree to disagree. Because we both have the Holy Spirit in us. So the Holy Spirit makes us unified as one. And there are times that we disagree about things. But when we disagree, then we talk through those things. And we come to a unified agreement. Acts 2.17 says, uh, In the last days I will pour out my Holy Spirit on all mankind. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. So that's men and women. You're both submitted to Jesus. You both have the Holy Spirit. And then it's possible to live life in agreement and in harmony. No, I think that if if we have a disagreement, um, understanding why that disagreement exists. So if we have the same goal in mind, which almost always we do. Yeah, I think it's good when you're disagreeing about something, say, what is the end goal we both have? Most of the time it's the same thing. What we disagree about is the way to get there because we're different people and that's okay. Like it's good that I'm more nurturing than you. Mm -hmm. It's good that you're more protecting than me. It's good that we're different emotionally. All those differences are good things. We just run into trouble when we're both like, we're right. Yeah, but if you can understand that you're both starting with the same goal in mind, then you can turn around and find out, well, why do you feel a certain way? And then you can get into feelings and you stop talking about facts like, well, I think we should do this because X, Y, Z, rather than if I understand why you feel a certain way, then I can speak to that. I can, you know, if, if you have unspoken concerns, you'll speak them when you start talking your feelings versus just giving me the facts back to me of your version. So we start getting to that next level of why there is a disconnect. So like last night, for example, we had a little disagreement about uh, we needed to go to Wegmans to get groceries and we also needed to get gas. And same end goal, I wanted us to do as a family. Jay wanted to be more efficient to go get the gas while I got the groceries. And so we we both had different perspectives on that. But when we started talking about our feelings... I felt like 
um, I'm a quality time person, and we hadn't seen our kids this week because we were at a conference out of town, and so I just felt like getting groceries in that moment felt like a thing to be all together and unified. And that was more important in that moment to serve that need rather than efficiency. Because we're both right. He's right. It would be quicker. It would be quicker, but if there's a safety, if it makes you feel more... um, attached to the family, you know, if, yeah. if it serves that need in that moment, is it really worth the three minutes that I might save? Like, no, not in reality. He thought it was last night <laughs> when was we it? were arguing about it. Yeah, but well, we came to the, ca- yeah. the same conclusion. Well, and that's the thing. One person has to say, you know what? I'm going to serve your need right yeah. now. And I'm going to be like Jesus in this situation. It shouldn't be the same person every time because you're not a doormat. You want to come to uh, agreements and understandings and not just one person's way all the time or the highway. That's yeah. not fun. No. And it, you should want the advice and the opinion of your spouse yeah. You know, they you married them because you see value in them. You you are with them because they are valuable to you. And I think sometimes in our culture what happens is we do this thing where we're like, well, the husband's the head of the house, he has the final say, and so then the wife abdicates giving her opinion and what God and the Holy Spirit are speaking to her too, and neither of those are healthy. And so the healthy thing, uh, we were counseling someone a few weeks ago, and they both wanted their kids to succeed. That was the end goal. But they had two different paths for them. One was like, I don't think they should ever go to college. One was like, they definitely should go to college. Again, just they're both... Have, want their kids to succeed, but they both felt really strongly about these options. And so we started asking about, why do you feel this way? What's the emotion? Because it was like a really strong disagreement. And one of them's like, well, I feel this way because it was important in my family that you have an education. And if you don't have an education, then that goes to your worth. And the other person was like, listen, I feel like they could be unsafe if they go to college. And some things happened to me where people didn't protect me when I was away from my family. And so that's why I don't want them to go. So again, they were both talking about the same end goal. And they both had really important reasons that the other person needed to hear about why they felt the way they felt. So when you get stuck in an agreement, you need to start talking about the emotions behind it. Absolutely. Can we go to the next slide, please? This is really funny. We were wrapping Christmas presents a couple days before Christmas Eve, and we're different people, so we do things differently. I wrap really fast and get lots of presents done, and they don't look good, but they're done, and my kids don't care. But Jay wraps really slow, and they're beautiful. Like, you could, you could post put them, them on a catalog. anywhere. Yes, he's very proud of his wrapping. His mom always did the same thing. It's beautiful. I totally agree. We use good wrapping paper, not the cheap stuff. Yeah. And so what happens is he gets two presents done, and I get 37 done, and we're all done. But my two are out front when we take the family photo. It's true. <laughs> and my efficiency helps us get done. So again, we're after the same goal. It's just the methods are different. And yeah. over and over, that's what we need to look at. Neither one of us is wrong, and I'm not going to make you wrap presents my way, and I can't wrap presents your way. So <laughs> it's okay. Uh, There was a study from the University of Minnesota. It found that couples where partners value each other's opinion were 81% happy. It said marriages where one spouse made all the decisions were 82% unhappy. 
You might be thinking of that verse in Timothy where it says, I don't let a woman uh, basically dominate or lead a man. And if you look at the context of that verse, it's talking about, I don't let any partner dominate the other partner because that would not be healthy. That would not be equal. And that's not how God designed it to be. So if you look at the Garden of Eden and God's original intent, God took woman out of man. He said they are one. They become one flesh together. And then the the fall happened and the curse and Adam and Eve both sinned. You know, God said the, the, the husband would rule over the wife. But Jesus came and he restored God's original intent in the Garden of Eden. Sometimes we forget that and we get stuck. So what happens is now because of Jesus, we're equal. The Bible talks about being equally yoked. And and we use that to talk about don't marry a non-Christian, someone who doesn't believe in Jesus. But it's also saying equal yoke. We carry the yoke of our marriage together. It would be unequal if one of us was carrying more. If you look at Jesus... He says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, because he carries more for all of us. When you trust in Jesus, he carries everything. He's the one who died for us. He's the one who transforms us. He does all the work. We really just rest in him. But in your marriage, it's not where one person does all the work, one person does all the decision-making. He says, no, 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 equally yoked. And that doesn't mean that both partners do all the household chores or anything like that. It says we're equally willing to work hard and make adjustments in our marriage together. Yes. We make decisions together. Come on. And then uh, you can go to the next slide. So for us, it's like Jay has specific things he does, like uh, I do dishes the dishes and garbage. Garbage. Thank you. I do the laundry and something else. I forget what else I do. You do the bathrooms. Oh, the bathrooms. He hates the bathrooms. He just dry heaves when he thinks about Even it. But my own bathroom. I like that's nasty. Pro tip, the bathrooms do not take as long, okay? Good for you. So you should do them. Have the kids do Which it. Which takes us to our next question. <laughs> One day we will. What makes a wife feel valued in marriage? How do you set a serious expectation of needing help without making your husband feel like you're nagging them? And what's the best way to maintain lines of communication? So this is kind of three in one, but it's talking about all the same things. So first of all, great question. What makes a wife feel valued in marriage? You should ask your wife that. That is a really good question. I commend you for asking that question. (laughs) You should ask her because you need to find out each other's needs. For your husband, if you feel like you're always nagging him to do the chores, you need to have a conversation. What are the expectations around those chores? Could you both have some chores that you do where he does his chores in his own timeline? I think that's the part where we nag. We're like, well, they're not doing it the way I would do it. Trust that he's going to do it on his own time and then resist the urge to bug him about it. You make those decisions ahead of time. Pre-decide. The Bible in Ephesians 5.33, it says, Husbands, you need to love your wife as you love yourself, and the wife must respect her husband's. And the way I take it is, wives, how do you respect your husband? If you think of something to say, you need to say it to them. Sometimes we think good things about our husbands, we just don't tell them. Or we tell them later. But when you think of something, say it. That's how you respect him. And for a lot of guys, words of affirmation are 
very, very key in how we value, look at ourselves, how we think other, how our spouses look at us. We have to be told very explicitly, like, this is what I think of you, and I think you're doing a good job, and all, all those things. And I think that's part of our role as helper. We're doing something for you that you can't do yourself. Yeah. So you can get your identity from God, but we can encourage you differently than you can encourage yourself. Absolutely. And then for husbands, it says, love your wives. So if you think of something to do, do it. Take action, whether it's serving your spouse, whether it's buying her a gift. You guys have good ideas. I think what happens a lot of times is ideas kind of get dropped to the floor. They get forgotten. Uh, maybe we feel uncertain or insecure about them, so we don't do them. Just do your thing. Whatever you're thinking, that's a good start. And then daily, so we have conversations about each other's needs. Yeah, and it probably starts when you get home. Uh, or when you connect for the first time during the day of what do you need? Do you need me to you know, spend time with the family? Do you need me to just take the kids for a little while? Uh, do you need to tell me about your day uh, rather than me just talk about my day and how tough it was and get all, all of my garbage, for lack of a better word, out and just pour it out? And then I never ask you how you were doing. So now we're, we've been together and I've completely bulldozed over you and whatever you might be feeling just to serve my own needs. So we try to, the very first thing that we do when we connect uh, after I get home is to kind of ask those questions of where are you at? How was your day? And my needs will get met at some point. You know, that's, that's the mutual respect that we have for each other. But if I take the lead in serving, so I'm leading the marriage in that way, I'm serving her by asking her, what does she need? And so we also do this daily thing called uh, our relationship check-in. And it's basically rating five different areas of your marriage uh, on a scale of one to ten. And so what happens is you say the category, uh, for example, communication is one of the categories. And you both think, okay, where are we at communication-wise? And you say the number out loud. And if they match, that's great. You're on the same page. If they don't match... That's okay. Yep. You're not in trouble. You're not doing bad. But it gives you something to talk about that maybe you're not on the same page with. Uh, friendship and fun is the next category. So are you having a regular date night? Have a weekly time where you invest in each other. It doesn't have to be somewhere where you go out to eat every week. If that's too expensive for your budget, you could just have a date night in where if you have children, have your in-laws or your friends take your kids and vice versa. You watch your kids your friends' kids for them. But have a weekly time where you have friendship and fun. That's an important priority, especially for husbands. And then you need to have a weekly time of emotional connection. And this is on a scale of one to 10, how connected are we emotionally? That's most important for the wife, connecting face to face, knowing each other's heart. And the way we do this is we say, you know, what are three emotions that you felt today? We also do this with our children. A few weeks ago, I was talking to Sophie about her day. I'm like, how's your day? She's like, it was so good. I'm like, what are three emotions you felt today? She's like, sad. I'm like, what? You just told me you had a really good day. And she's like, oh, yeah. Well, one of the emotions that I felt in the middle of my good day was I was crying because my work wasn't turning out perfectly, and it made me sad. And again, that gave me something to talk to her about, to talk to a, a perfection thing within her that I wouldn't have known if I didn't ask her emotions. It's the same thing with our spouses. We don't know what's going on if we don't ask. And it's important that 
their real feelings. It's not, how are you feeling? Good. That's a good start. Okay, but then you might have a different feeling I feel good. under that. We're going to talk about these at family night over this time, too. Yes, there are specific words that can lead to a deeper discussion that help draw more out from yeah. each other. And that can go either way, but it does tend to be on the guy side where good. Okay, so let's try to do our emotional check-in. So on a scale of 1 to 10, on the count of 3, Pressure. we're going to say our number. Are you ready? Yeah. 1, 2, 3, Six. 9. It's okay. Jay's numbers are usually lower than mine. <laughs> I'm really optimistic. And Truth maybe, is probably somewhere in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> and so then you say, okay, why did you rate it that way? I rate it a 9 because I thought we had a really good talk last night about emotions where I felt really connected to you and I heard your heart and you heard my heart. Why did you give it a 6? Uh, probably just because it's was once last night and if the pattern continues and continues after today. So you want to talk about our feelings more I today? I love talking about our feelings. Me. Let's get lost in our feelings. So that's good to know. That's why we do this because we're on different pages sometimes. Usually we're two points apart so I'm surprised right. at the three points there. Okay the other thing you rate is sex. So on a scale of one to ten we did this with our staff last year and we were like one two three and I'm like ten. Jay's like eight. eight. I'm like what? <laughs> what and would that, make it a ten for you? And we talked about that. And he did have some things. I'm like, okay, I could see that. We got to a 10. <laughs> we got lost in our feelings. I think it's so funny that on this slide, we have sex and overall satisfaction next to each other. That's not talking about the same thing. So overall satisfaction with your marriage is what you want to rate. So communication, friendship and fun, emotional connection, sex, and overall satisfaction. Those are the five categories. If you talk about those every day, even if you start really far apart, the more you talk about them on the daily, the more they get closer together, and it just gives you handles and for a good discussion. It's a very objective way to, like, I can't put a number on her heart. If I feel a certain way... I can't argue with how she's feeling. So if I feel that we're a seven, she feels that we're a three, okay, I think we're doing better than we are. I only want to hear from her. I want to know how to get her to where I'm at. Again, and it's about serving each other. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, daily, another thing we do is praying together before bed. We pray with our whole family. Our, our kids come and pray with us, and they're always asking us, is it time to pray yet? Are we going to pray in your room or my room? They just get so excited about it. And this could just even be for a couple minutes. It doesn't have to be any big thing. Uh, Ryder's so funny. He always tries to say the right thing, so he's always like, <laughs> Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for all of our sins. Sophie just looks at him like, really? Seriously? <laughs> Sometimes if you get nervous about what to pray, it's good to talk about it ahead of time. Like, what do you got going on your day tomorrow? We could pray for that thing. Who could we pray for that we know? What could we pray for for our church? Things like that. So we talk through, here's the things we want to pray about. And then we pray together. And we do that daily. It does feel awkward when you start. But it's a really good thing. And God honors, when, especially when you pray together, there's so much power in that. And you, you get on page, you're one vision, one heart, one mind. And it's much harder for the enemy to divide you. And he hears those prayers when you're praying those out loud to you, when you're speaking authority over your family. 
And then weekly, we talked about date nights, bi-weekly, family nights, really important. Sign up to come this Wednesday. You'll get at a table with someone else in your season of life. Our kids look forward to it so much. They love, love, love it. We just get to learn from other people. Iron sharpens iron. We're empathizing. And then monthly, we see a counselor. And so sometimes we talk about our marriage. Sometimes we talk about other issues. It just really helps us to have outside accountability. And you could do that too. See a counselor or have someone who speaks life into you. Meet at the church with Pastor Dave. Meet with an older couple who has been further in the journey with you, but someone who is that outside help because sometimes you get stuck in places and you need someone else to break it down for you where you're like, wow, I didn't see things that way. You really helped me. I just think that what we're talking about right here, date nights, uh, praying as a family, and then having that daily check-in are great foundational things that no matter where you're at in your marriage, you can implement those immediately. Like that doesn't have to go through uh, a long exercise of getting everybody on the same page. It's like, nope, these are the things that we can commit to right now and wherever we're at. And we just start moving forward. All right, we're going to do these last questions rapid fire. There's a few of them. How do you relate with in-laws who won't respect your spouse? How do you set boundaries with your in-laws? Uh, first, I want to recommend the book Boundaries by Dr. Henry Cloud. Anybody who needs boundaries in their life, get that book. And then every couple needs their own identity that's separate from their family of origin. And depending on how long you've been married, maybe it's a new marriage and so your in-laws don't know kind of the boundaries they don't know this season maybe they haven't walked through their child separating from them and then being joined to their spouse so you might need to help them navigate those expectations have a conversation for us we look back on our early marriage and we're like man I wish we would have spent more time with our in-laws I wish we would have made weekly time for them to help them and also because they had good things to invest in us as well absolutely and then if if your in-laws don't like your spouse, what do you do? If your in-laws don't like your spouse, or if if you're the child of the parents that you're having issues with, it's it's your responsibility really to have that conversation with your parents because to put that on your spouse is abdicating your leadership in the marriage. Remember, you your know. spouse is your number one, not yeah. your parents. They're... The, your relationship with your parents can be great. It can't be greater than what you have with your yes. spouse. And so if it means that you have to have a difficult conversation with your parents to say, look, I, I understand or I can even empathize like with the disconnect here, but that's my number one thing. And if it's going to cause us to have relational anxiety, then I'm going to stop whatever's happening there and I'll create healthy boundaries so that this isn't affected. And that might mean that our relationship changes. And hopefully they see that and they recognize that they're not gonna be able to come between you and, they, and hopefully that's not their motivation. But if they see that you're striving for a healthy marriage, they'll respect that, but you gotta have that conversation and you can't put it on your spouse to have that conversation because they already have this hang up with your spouse. Mm -hmm. Next question, how do you foster healthy affection? How do you keep the romance alive in your marriage? Romance. Okay, first of all, I think this part of it is having expectations. So have you talked about your expectations for romance with your spouse? I think 
sometimes when we first get married, we both have wildly different expectations. And here's the reality. According to the University of Chicago, they asked, how often do married couples have sex? 10% have not in the last year. 7% once or twice in the past year. 17% once a month. 19% two or three times a month. 25% once a week. 16% two or three times a week. 5% four or more times a week. So those are the averages. Now I do wanna say that with Jesus, we can be above average. And here's why I think that. When you're whole, like God intended for you to be in the Garden of Eden, remember when Adam and Eve were alone, they were naked and they felt no shame. You think they had sex a lot? Probably. I mean, they're out there in paradise, it's romantic. Not a whole lot of distractions. They look at each other. They're like, man, you look good. You're naked. I mean, come on. But then what happened? You know, the fall. And we feel shame. And we feel tired from work. And we have hormones. And there's sleep things going on. And lots of things start happening. But I think as we get more whole in Jesus and he transforms us from the inside out, he's restoring us to what he originally intended. I think... You could be having sex a lot. That's great. We were at a conference. <laughs> when we were at the conference this week, uh, they made a joke. They're like, yeah, we have sex almost every night. Almost Monday, almost Tuesday, almost Wednesday, almost <laughs> Thursday, but almost it, Friday. But to bring it back, it is about having an open conversation yes. with your spouse of like, what, what, is, what do you think is, what do you need? What do I need? And if they don't match up, how do we get to where they're closer yes. aligned? Um, because it's not always the man that has the stronger sex drive. And if that's the case, then you need to be having that conversation as well to get on the same page, regardless of what the situation is, just so that you can serve each other out of love and have a really strong romantic, that romantic area of your marriage is so important mm -hmm. because that can only be fulfilled by one person and that is your spouse come on first uh, corinthians 7 5 says do not deprive each other except by mutual consent for a time so you may devote yourselves to prayer so if you're not going to be having sex make sure you're praying together okay you can just give your spouse that option or maybe both is good too <laughs> it'll leave it up to you I would say if you have young children, they should not be sleeping in your bed with you. That can be obviously a big inhibitor to having an intimate relationship. I get it. If you're, if you're nursing, it's really easy just to have your baby there. But once they're weaned, they got to be launched to their own room. There, I knew a lovingly, family once lovingly. who their, their kid was 16 and still in their room with them, sleeping in a bed next to their bed. So... I was saying, if you don't launch your five-year-old back to their room now, this is your future when they're 16, okay? <laughs> no one wants that. And make them have a good bedtime. When we first had Sophie, she was our only baby. We're like, this is great. She stayed up with us all the time. And then when we had Ryder, we're like, these kids need a bedtime. <laughs> right we need now. alone time. And so set that bedtime with them. Have those rhythms. So you can connect emotionally. Because sometimes it takes a while. Like if we're doing the relationship check-in and then we have things we find we need to talk about that happened over the day, we might be talking for two or three hours some nights. It mm -hmm. just takes time. Mm -hmm. So make sure you have that time with your spouse. Okay, last question. What advice do you have for someone who struggled with pornography? 
I think first we have to understand that this is affects more people than we would like to give it credit. Uh, seven in ten guys will struggle with pornography at some point. So you're not alone. If this is you, you're not alone. At all. And on f- the statistics speaks for itself that it's 2.4 million people every minute are consuming porn. So it's not something that should be ignored, and it's not something that uh, should be minimized in any relationship. And if it is something that you've struggled with in the past or currently, the first thing to do is to be open and honest about it, is not to hide. You married your spouse because you trusted them more than anybody else. They care about you more than anybody else. You have to have that conversation with them that you're struggling with something that you can't get a handle on because it's not going to solve itself. It's and if not, you're not married, you, you're single, you need to tell a single absolutely. friend of the same sex. Some, somebody, tell a guy friend that this is what you're struggling with. I need help being just some accountability in my life. Um, you know, this isn't something that it's, it's, it's consuming in our culture because it's so easily accessible. And so it's always, it's going to be the easiest thing to run back to when expectations aren't being met. And you have to realize what originally drove you to that probably isn't serving. It wasn't, it was forced upon you. It was, yeah, so for most people, they're exposed to pornography when they're children. And maybe that happened to you. You know, maybe some friends showed you something, older kids at school. And so those images got in your brain, and now you think, oh, those thoughts are from me, and there's something wrong with me, and I'm dirty, or I'm wrong, or I'm this, or I'm guilty, or I feel shame. But the thing is, those thoughts didn't originate with you. You were a child, and someone put those thoughts in you. It was the enemy. And so now as an adult, you have power to say, I reject those things. Maybe as a child, you're like, that was a coping mechanism that you ran to. That was a habit. That was something where you felt bored or where you felt stressed. You turned to that like any other addiction. I'm saying now that you're grown up, you can know Jesus and you can be set free from those things. And for some people, it might not be that easy. Maybe you need to go to regular counseling. And that's okay. But the point is, get that thing out into the light and choose a different path. Choose to reject those thoughts that did not originate with you. Your thoughts, you get to choose them to be pure and lovely and good things that you're putting inside you. Your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit and the things that you put in there, you can either foster that Holy Spirit or you can put a lid on how much he's able to do in you. We want to be holy. We want to be set apart. We want to say, God, use me. And in order for him to do that, we want to say, I want to get out everything in there that you died to cleanse. Your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. First Corinthians 6, 17. The person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him, which is good news because he empowers you. You have power over sin. Verse 18, run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. You're hurting yourself. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and who is given to you by God? You don't belong to yourself. God bought you with a price. You must honor God with your body. He values you so much. 
It's time to start valuing yourself. Yeah. It's time to say no to these things that are going to hurt you things that are leading to death. The wages of sin is death. The choice to look at things that hurt you, they're poisoning you. They're poisoning your thoughts. They're stealing your time. The world, the world tells you, if it feels good, do it. As long as it's not harming anyone, what's the problem? But it's flawed because it's harming you. If you live from your feelings, you're gonna be a slave to your appetites. And Jesus set you free from slavery. He says, don't go back to that. You don't have to do that anymore. You are free. So you know, when you're tempted by pornography, first you need to get all of access to it away. You know, put all the protectors and the things on there. Don't put yourself in those situations. And, and Recognize your triggers. Opening yourself up to real accountability. You know, like you said, sharing the passwords with other people so that they can have open conversations with you. You have to initiate the conversations, even with your, you know, your friends or your spouse to just say, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm going through. And then you give them the updates. You know, this is, hey, I'm, I'm doing better in this place. Uh, the, because there is, specifically with this sin, there's like an extra level of guilt and shame that come along with it. And if somebody does open up to you about that addiction, give them grace, give them love, because it takes it's taking a lot out of them to share that with you because of the stigmas that come along with it. So be there for them. Um, don't don't condemn them because they are they are truly seeking help in that matter. And if you're struggling with any habitual sin, it's so easy to focus on the sin. That's what the enemy wants you to do. Focus yes. on, oh, I can't stop. Oh, it's this, it's that. No, no, no. Focus on your Savior. Because you're not the product of your choices and your behavior. You're who God says you are. And he says you're his dearly loved child. He says you are righteous. You are clean. You, you are set apart. It's like when we open with the parenting question. God says who you are just like you say who your kids are you want to listen to him and not what your behaviors and uh, what you do you're not what you do you're who God says you are and there's freedom when you know that oh man nothing can hold you back there is freedom in Jesus as you were listening today maybe you thought I don't know some of this stuff seems impossible but I want to tell you Everything is possible to those who believe in Jesus. So he helps you to focus on the things you need to transform within yourself, the things that you need to surrender to him and let him change you from the inside out. Don't worry about changing your spouse. God will speak to them. The Holy Spirit's talking to them. If your spouse isn't a believer, God says your family is blessed through you. You lead by example. Yep, lead by example. Let God speak to you and listen, respond to what God says. Mostly what he does is love us.